let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to Psalm 22. The love and, and mercy of God is beyond remarkable, and we can be so confident this morning that through faith in Christ we're secured in Him forever. And if you don't know Him, I pray you've heard about Him this morning. And I can tell you for a fact that He, uh, Jesus Christ, died for your sins. He died to bear your sins on the cross. And He is able to take away your sin forever. He rose again so they'd be washed away. And uh, I, I just pray you know that this morning because there's no greater truth. There's nothing that's more reliable or certain this morning than the gospel. And every one of us should trust in it without any hesitation. And that's the constant battle in our minds since creation. The battle in our minds since creation has been whether or not we can trust and rely on the Lord. And the enemy has been fighting that. He has been going against us. He has been trying to introduce doubt into our minds since the Garden of Eden. And uh, it really just comes down to that one issue. Do you trust the Lord? Everything else is really secondary. Do you trust the Lord? Not just for salvation. That, that, that to me is almost the easy part. Trusting the Lord for salvation. That he can remove sin. That's almost the easy part. That, that where it gets challenging is when life is uncertain. And when life is confusing. And when the answers aren't clear. Or they don't seem to be coming fast enough or clearly enough. Uh, this message this morning is called When Heaven Seems Silent. Because there are, there are times as believers when it seems like heaven isn't giving us answers. There are times as believers where we're praying, and that's the presumption this morning that we are praying, but as we seek direction, as we seek clarity, as we ask the Lord to show us what to do, we don't get the response right then, maybe, or we're not able to discern it in some way. And the question is, how does it affect our dependence, and how does it affect our confidence when that happens? How do we feel at that point? What do we do in, in response? Do we easily get discouraged? Do we get frustrated? Do we go to the place of being bitter? Or do we continue to trust? Now, in Psalm 22, in the first part of this, it's, it's really probably one of the more sad and, and heartbreaking sections of Scripture that's written by David. And uh, we'll see in just a minute as we read that David is feeling... Uh, isolation, he's feeling separation from the Lord, um, he, he, he is so, uh, his emotions are so deep at this point, it's so severe, that's the only word I can think of, so severe, that Jesus, when he's on the cross dying, quotes this, that's how far separated he feels from the Lord, that Jesus would quote verse 1, as he's being separated from the Father and the inscrutable theology of that that none of us understands. That he quotes David in Psalm 22.1. So this is not just some minor crisis that David's experiencing. He's not being whiny. He's not being overly sensitive. He is in a deep place of emotional torment and a desperation for answers. And we don't know the circumstances surrounding it, but clearly he feels like the Lord is not responding to his cries at this point and that God has somehow even though he knows better, God has somehow distanced himself from David. And that creates in him a great feeling of insecurity and a great feeling of, of worthlessness. So let's just read eight verses here. We're going to read a couple different passages this morning, but let's start here in chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
For from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet, you are holy. Oh, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. Because he delights in him. And that's derisive there. That's not an encouragement. Have you ever felt like this? You ever been in the ballpark of this? Like, like, oh yeah, I kind of I kind of understand that feeling. I kind of know what that's like, where where I feel like a failure, where there's a, a mix of people that are kind of being derisive and critical, and and I'm kind of restless. I can't sleep at night. I'm kind of falling back into, into feeling bad about myself. And I'm playing conversations and situations over and over again in my head, but but none of it seems right. And as we feel like that sometimes, we say, well, I need to go to the Lord for help and for answers. But, but there are moments, this is a reality, there are moments where it just doesn't seem like the answers are there. We sense the presence of the Lord. We know God's there and God's helping us and God loves us. But it just doesn't seem like we're, we're getting that answer. Now, that can be frustrating and, and a little scary at times. And if we're not careful in those moments, if we're not careful in the verses 1 to 2, our attitude can move from kind of confusion and and hunger for the Lord and seeking the Lord answers to anger and hostility and kind of giving up on trusting Him. Kind of saying, well, you know what? I've tried that. I've prayed. uh, and, And it's just, it's not working. And that's what the enemy wants. The devil loves, he, he loves to keep us in the playground of insecurity and fear. He loves to keep us in the realm of, of, of doubting the Lord, and it's fun. He enjoys watching us feel incapable and unworthy, but not in the good spiritual kind of way that draws us to love the Lord more. He loves to keep us in, in areas where we're just frustrated and insecure, and we don't feel like anything good is going on. And, and that's a very fine line in his temptation, because if he pushes too far, then he understands that we'll start to understand our real place before the Lord, and we'll run back to the Lord. So he plays that fine line. He plays that area where he keeps us just on the edge of thinking about ourselves and being frustrated with the Lord without recognizing how much we really need the Lord. And his bargain, his hope is that we'll either stay discouraged and resent the Lord for not elevating us or that we'll jump ahead of the Lord and supersede his will and not pray and just do what we want to do. So that's the constant attack that's going on. And when this happens... If our hearts and minds aren't right, it's very easy for us at that point to slide spiritually because we're so discouraged. In fact, one of the most common things I have said to me as a pastor is is when people are struggling, one of the first things that always comes out of their mouth, these are believers, is saying, I really haven't been in the Word lately. Two strong believers said that to me just the past week. I haven't really been in the Word lately. And And that's 
That's what we know is just the opposite of what we need to do. That when we're in crisis, we need to run to the Lord more. When we don't have answers, we need to grab his book in our hands and say, Lord, you've got to show me and you've got to help me to understand that when heaven doesn't seem to be giving answers, we need to get before him and pray and say, Lord, we're seeking your face. You say when we call, you'll answer. So we're calling. We, we didn't answer. And that prevents us from feeling abandoned. Because when we don't do those things, we start to play out kind of depressing scenarios in our mind. And we start to, to, start to, 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 to miss some of the words that God gives us. And we don't quite hear the Spirit the way we should. And we get a little worked up. We'll see examples of this in a minute. And we allow ourselves to move into a position of weakness rather than the position of strength that the Holy Spirit promises to provide. Now that's where David is. Long introduction, but that's where David is. He's not a spiritual novice at this point. This is not when he's a teenager sitting out in the field playing his, his lyre or whatever. This is, this is David in his older age. How do we know that? Well, he talks about the history of Israel. He talks about his own experiences. He talks about his role in the nation. So, so this is David later in life. And yet, look at his words here in verses 1 and 2. There's profound discouragement. He's groaning, he's, he's weeping, he's trying to rest, there's nothing there, he feels like God's left him. Now obviously believers, we know that that can't happen. God doesn't leave us, he doesn't forsake us. But we can't stay in this place emotionally and spiritually because this is not reasonable for a believer. So what do we do? Not only how do we offset these unreliable feelings that God is indifferent about us, but, but how do we move forward, not just surviving, but with confidence and assurance of his help? Now, we're going to see a couple practical examples this morning, and I encourage you to write them down. Uh, we're going to turn to each one, uh, but, but this is trying to find some active ways to hear the Lord when heaven seems to be silent. How do we discern what the Lord is doing. Look first at what David does here. And this is going to be very foundational this morning. Very basic, but we need to hear basics a lot of times. So even in his complete despair, I want you to see, first of all, that David doesn't fall away from the Lord. He doesn't give up. Instead, he takes the first step to get an answer when an answer isn't there. The first step to getting an answer is to keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep asking for an answer. Now that seems so obvious that, it, it, that I, I, it's almost unnecessary to say it. But I would suggest to you that this is where it breaks down probably 90% of the time. And that's not in any way an official statistic. Uh, it's just something that I feel is probably close to right. 90% of the time, let's just say for grins, all right? 90% of the time where it breaks down when we're seeking answers is that we stop asking. We get discouraged quickly, and whether it's actively or passively, we pray for a while, and usually we kind of jump out of the gate, and we're all excited, and we have great fervency and great sincerity, but soon we get distracted, and when the answer doesn't come right away, and time keeps going on, we kind of resolve, well, I'll keep it before the Lord but we don't keep actively calling out on him consistently. Look at what David says. He says, I'm crying out day and night. I can't even sleep. And there's nothing. I'm hearing nothing. But I want you to see, he does not stop. 
to feed his soul and to bring confidence, he reminds himself, look at verse 4, of all the Lord has done. Just being holy, we sang all about holiness this morning. Just being holy would be enough. But he says, Lord, I remember how you delivered my ancestors and how you responded to their cries for help. But here's my second problem, Lord. I feel really worthless. I feel like a worm. I feel like nobody likes me. I'm being criticized. I'm in a bad place. Now, it's hard to imagine this being David. But, but he says, I have nothing. I'm in a personal crisis. I feel like a loser. I don't know what the future is. I don't know what to do with all this. But I want you to see his feelings quickly fade because that's what feelings do. Don't ever get worked up about a feeling of the moment because in a couple hours it'll be different. It's like the weather in Wisconsin. Just give it a couple hours, it'll change. Feelings are like that. If we lock into our feelings and we get caught in them and we stay, I'm not being a pop psychologist this morning, this is, this is biblical. If we stay in those awful emotions and don't realize that God is sufficient, we'll get ourselves in a position where we can't recover because we're so emotionally worked up. But look at what David says in verses 9 and 10. He says, Lord, you've known me since my birth. And since you've known me since my birth, I need to call on you again and I need to ask you to come and help me. Listen, when the answer doesn't come right away, do we persist? It's like the parable we studied a couple weeks ago in prayer meeting about the, the man who kept knocking. It was the middle of the night, and the neighbor says, go away, I'll help you in the morning. I'll give you bread in the morning. Just let my kid sleep, and he keeps knocking. Come on, I need help now. Do we persist when we pray? Do we keep knocking until the answers come? Some of the most profound answers I've gotten from the Lord are at the point where I was so close to giving up that I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. Lord, you're not answering. And God said, now I'll answer. Right at the edge of your faith, right where you are about to give up, but you keep persevering one more time, that's when I'll answer. Because that's what Luke 11 says. You keep knocking, I'll respond. There's something valuable. There's something that God wants to develop in us that is produced from that persistence. So when we get into this spiritual and emotional turmoil, we need to develop a resilience in our faith. And when heaven doesn't seem to be answering right then, we need to keep asking and keep seeking until the answer comes. Second thought. After keeping, uh, continuing to seek the Lord, second, there's a need for spiritual examination. Flip over a couple pages to Psalm 51. Temptation is so powerful... And it is so pervasive, and we have still, even though we're redeemed, we have an inclination to sin. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. How wretched of a man I am. That was the Apostle Paul. He says, sin, the temptation doesn't go away. We're redeemed, we're delivered, we're forgiven. But, but the temptation's still there. And there has to be a constant spiritual introspection on our part to, to make sure that our heart stays clean because God has cleansed it. Amen? God, God has cleansed our hearts. Is that right? There, there's no record of sin anymore. He's freed us. He's delivered us. We're washed clean. And yet when we sin, we have to be introspective and make sure that that sin is removed right away and it's removed by confession. So David's writing here, and he says, basically, let me paraphrase, it's not good enough to just keep sinning and keep asking for forgiveness. 
That's a vicious cycle that we'll get into that will not only uh, eventually damage us, but it's not descriptive of somebody that loves the Lord and is dying to self daily. Now listen to that. We cannot be in a cycle where we continue to sin and continue to ask forgiveness and continue to sin and continue to ask forgiveness and say, well, God's grace is wonderful because I can keep sinning and He'll keep forgiving. Now that's, that's not what Christ died to do. Christ died to deliver us from sin so that sin doesn't have bondage and control over us anymore. So while there may be an occasional sin here and there because we're human, Sin no longer has power over us. That's why God said, Christ said, the Holy Spirit will come and give you power. Power to overcome sin. So there has to be a self-examination because if there's a consistency in habit to sin, we've got to get very aggressive about cutting off its oxygen supply. Look at how this is illustrated here in chapter 51. This is right after David had sinned with Bathsheba, the great sin of his life. Nathan, his friend, had confronted him and said, you, you've been in sin. And David spends the whole psalm, Psalm 51, asking the Lord, begging the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing and restoration. He does this without any excuse, without any justification, without any withholding, that he's the guilty one. And he says, God, you need to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. David knows that God's not going to reveal any new battle plans, that God's not going to give him any direction on how to lead the nation. God's not going to give him any counsel as long as he's in sin. So he needs to get clean. In fact, when the son of his relationship with Bathsheba is dying as discipline for David's sin, David cries out to the Lord for answers and for help and hears nothing from heaven for seven days. But he continues to fast because he's so desperate for the Lord's help. And he sees that as a time to cleanse himself and purify himself before the Lord. Listen, it's never misguided. It's never wrong to purify yourself again. It's not a once a day action as we lay down in bed at night. All right, Lord, let's go through a couple things that I did today. I'm so sorry for this and for that. Oh, I said that. That wasn't right. And I thought about this. That's not, no, no, wait till the end of the day. No one knows the next minute. No one knows the next hour. Jesus might return in the next hour. Don't say to yourself, well, I'll wait till the end of the day or wait till tomorrow. I'll get to it at the end of the week. I'll do, do some time. No. When sin happens, confess it there, right then, right then, and ask for forgiveness. Because if it festers, it gets into our hearts. And if the Lord doesn't seem to be answering, answering do a spiritual self-exam. Look at what David says, verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. In other words, David says, I have sinned against you. And I cannot let myself continue in that condition. 
I have to purify myself. I have to come before you and say, search me and know me and cleanse out any sin. Get it out of me because it cannot persist. It's an offense to you. Practice that this week. If you sin, when you sin, confess it right away. Get before the Lord no matter what you're doing and say, Lord, that's wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I should have taken the door of of escape that you gave me. I didn't, Lord. I failed you. Lord, I confess that. Please purify me and restore a right spirit in me. God will do a miraculous work in doing that right then. And then it doesn't fester. Number three, turn over to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter 1. Seems a little too early for a Christmas passage, right? Seven weeks, they say, till Christmas. I'm not listening. I I, I want to do this passage this morning real briefly because Zacharias gives us a superb example of what to do when heaven seems silent. Luke chapter 1. You know the passage well. We don't really need to develop it. Start in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And it happened that while he is performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. Stop right there in verse 8. Now, the Holy Spirit never includes details that aren't important. And what I want us to see this morning about Zacharias is that when heaven seems silent, because there were 400 years where God didn't say a word to Israel, after being a very active, personal God with them, after leading them through the wilderness with the cloud by day and night, after filling the presence of the tabernacle with his glory, after filling the temple with his glory, after speaking through the prophets, after his heavy involvement in the lives of Israel. And we get to the end of the prophets and Israel scattered to Babylon and Assyria. God stops talking for four centuries. There's not a word, there's not a prophet, there's not scripture, there's not leading, there's not a cloud, there is nothing, silence for 400 years. Now, you've got to have that perspective, because here's what strikes me about Zacharias, and here's the third thought of what to do when we're waiting for clear direction of the Lord. When we are waiting for heaven to speak, we need to remain faithful. We need to remain faithful. Again, that would seem incredibly obvious, but I want to suggest to you this morning that it's highly underrated. Faithfulness is highly underrated. Now, one of the areas that we get attacked most in our lives spiritually is in consistency and in faithfulness. And as boring as it sounds... It is undeniably powerful, listen now, it is undeniably powerful to be steady, reliable, loyal, trustworthy, and mature. What does the devil push? He pushes flashy. Because he knows that flashy usually leads to a quick burnout. 
And even in the church, though, we've fallen for this. We've fallen for those who are kind of arrogant and kind of showy and kind of push the envelope. People that are definitely not going for humble, that are definitely not going for steady and reliable. But isn't it interesting, and I say this with zero pleasure, isn't it interesting that how those ministries often don't last? In fact, there was another extremely sad example this week of a prominent church that's closing its doors to multiple campuses. Tens of thousands of people affected because their leader wasn't trustworthy and faithful to holiness and humility and faithfulness to God. And that is tragic. That's a stain on the name of Christ. What does the Bible say that Jesus will be most pleased with? That when we get to heaven, what are the words we want to hear? Well done, thou good and, tell me, faithful servant. Not well done, you good and prominent servant. Well done, you good and flashy servant. Well done, you good and arrogant servant. Well done, you person that was known and wrote a thousand books and had tens of thousand people following you. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You who have been faithful, you who have stuck it out, you who have trusted me through difficult times, you who don't rest on popularity or credentials, you who just love me. God is pleased with that. God honors that. How many of us don't want to hear, well done, faithful servant. Oh, if I get to heaven and says, God says to me, you've been faithful, there's no greater joy. You stuck it out, Roach. You kept with it. You persevered. You trusted me. And I know it was tough, but you were faithful. Oh, if God says that to us, there is no greater thing we can hear. You were faithful. That's what I love. Look at the text real quick about Zacharias. I believe it's why the Lord chose him and Elizabeth to be John the Baptist's parents. Here's the detail that's interesting. Notice in verse 4, uh, excuse me, verse 5, that she was from the descendancy of Aaron. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't just throw that in there. Well, that's just, just for, for genealogy. No, there's a reason why. She was the one that was from the priestly line, not him. Or at least if he was, it's not mentioned. He had to be because he was a priest. But she was from the priestly line. Now, we know about Aaron. What do we know about Aaron? What's the one thing that stands out in our minds when we think the name Aaron in the Bible? The golden calf, right? That, that when it was time for him to stand up and say to the people, what do you think you're doing? God's right there talking to Moses, giving us the law. What, what is this apostasy about taking off her rings and building an idol? We're not going to do that. No, when the time came, Aaron said, sure, give me your jewelry. Let's go. Come on, I got some tools here. We'll make this calf. This will be wonderful. This is who led us out of Egypt. So she's from the line of Aaron. Aaron was not faithful to the Lord. And yet, look at these precious believers in verse 6. It says, they were righteous in the sight of the Lord. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments. What an example of faithful consistency. And then in verse 8, when the angel appears to tell him that they're going to have a child, it says, Zacharias was performing his priestly service. In other words, after 400 years of not hearing one word from God, Zacharias still showed up. He still showed up and said, I'm going to serve the Lord today. I'm going to be faithful to do the job that God has given me. 
even though there's no expectation after four centuries of silence that God's going to speak today. One of the greatest temptations we have to overcome is the inclination to dislike faithfulness and conversely, to be prominent. I was struggling with this the other day. I was struggling with an aspect of ministry and I was feeling a little resentful about some stuff and I was kind of grumbling under my breath and I was working down in the fellowship hall and moving some stuff around and I looked over on the chalkboard and somebody had written Colossians 3.23. I don't know if you know Colossians 3.23, but here's what it says. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Thank you very much for that conviction. I read it again, and I thought, okay, I'm not in a very good mood right now. I'm kind of grumbling. I guess the Holy Spirit has some chalk dust on his hand right now because he clearly wrote that verse for me. Whatever you do, do it heartily, not for men, not for applause, not so people will notice. Do it for the Lord. When heaven seems silent, remain faithful. Don't deviate. Because God has called us to serve Him. Well done, that good and faithful. Tell me the next word. Servant. I'm a child of God. But he says there are times you need to be a faithful servant. And you just need to serve me. And when you do that, I'll tell you what to do. One last thought. Turn over to 2 Timothy 4. Thank you for turning. There's another passage, 1 Kings 19. We're not going to turn to that because you know it, and I'll refer to it in a minute. But just turn to 2 Timothy 4. We know this passage really, really well. Because there's a fourth action to take that fits along kind of with the third one. When the answers seem slow to come, when heaven doesn't seem to be responding to prayer, when, when, when it's unclear what to do, here's the fourth step. Instead of being insecure, be energized in your calling. Instead of being insecure, be energized in your calling. Now, for Elijah and Timothy, they both had the same problem. They were blessed. They were equipped by the Lord. They had a clear sense of calling. God had used both of them in mighty ways. They had seen the clear power of God in their lives and in their ministry. And yet, they both reached a point of unbelievable discouragement and wanting to quit. Each one knew the faithfulness of God, but they hit a point of crisis where they weren't surrounded by other believers, which is always a bad thing, and when they didn't feel like the Lord was answering them and they didn't feel like God was providing what they needed and they faced heavy personal relational opposition from other people. Now whether those feelings were valid is debatable really doesn't matter. The bottom line was they both felt completely insecure about people's opinions of them. They both felt down and discouraged and they both got to the place where they said, I can't do it anymore. I'm emotionally crippled. I, I can't function. I don't know if you've ever reached that point. Some of you may be there this morning. I feel emotionally crippled. I can't, I can't go on. I'm too discouraged. And in Elijah and Timothy's case, they said, I want out. Elijah goes straight to God and says, kill me. Kill, just take me to heaven. I'm done. Timothy writes to Paul and says, I quit. Now this happens. These are faithful, 
God-honoring believers. These are men that walked with the Lord and trusted Him. But this shows that in our lives, there are times where we get down like that. No matter what area of ministry you're in, there are always going to be people and there are always going to be problems that will create this kind of apprehension and self-doubt and frustration. And there are times when you say, you know what, I don't feel like doing it anymore. People frustrate us. People discourage us. 1,500 pastors a month. That's so tragic. 1,500 pastors a month quit ministry. It's not because of theological debate. And, And it's not because preparing a sermon is too challenging. It's because they're discouraged. Now, when we get to that place, hopefully and prayerfully, we call on the name of the Lord, right? But when heaven doesn't seem to be responding right away, the option is not to quit. The option is to get re-energized. When Elijah's in the cave in 1 Kings 19, the Lord doesn't say, Elijah, sit back and take a break, catch your breath, get some food, get a little vacation, just, just take some time for yourself, take some me time. You know what the Lord says to him? And he's not being cruel. Get up, go out, get back to work, and find the 7,000 men that I'm going to use to help you. God's not being ungracious. God is being more than gracious. It doesn't do you good, Elijah, to sit, heal, and feel sorry for yourself. It does you good to go out and do some ministry. And then Timothy, right here in chapter 4, he writes to Paul and he says, I can't do it. I'm I'm done. Look at what Paul says in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come that they will endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. By the way, that's America in 2014, just in case you didn't know. But you, Timothy, direct personal pronoun, you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. There are 11 different instructions. I counted them. There are 11 different instructions in these four verses where Paul says to Timothy, you have a specific work to do. Now get busy. You want to offset discouragement? You want to offset feeling bad? You want to offset uh, the, the insecurity in your life? Get to work serving the Lord. Every one of us needs to hear that this morning. Every one of us, not just pastor, not just missionaries, not just whatever. Every person, every believer needs to hear that this morning. That when we're saying, Lord, where are you? Where have you gone? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you coming to my side? God says, you just keep serving me. Not unto men, but unto me. You stay faithful. 
You examine yourself and make sure you're right. You keep praying to me. You keep seeking me. And you know what? I've given you a work to do. Get energized. Get going. It's exciting. God is faithful. Listen, how encouraged were we at the first part of the service? We were singing and raising our hands. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I mean, we're like, yeah, this is great. Now, tomorrow morning, we go back out to where we go. Will we be singing? Or will we hit the alarm and go, oh, Monday. <sighs> Don't feel like doing this today. Oh, we'll still say that, but that doesn't have to pervade, right? This is the day that the Lord has made. Tell me the rest. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Great is your faithfulness, new mercies you have from me overnight, tonight. God has new mercy ready. And when the alarm goes off in the morning and we hit it and we groan and it hurts to get out of bed and we look in the mirror and go, really? Because that's what I do every morning. Really? This is that? Yeah, that? I got to say to myself, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And if heaven's not answering right now, keep asking. And if heaven's not asking right now, I need to look inside myself and say, you know what, am I pure? Am I holy? Or is there something you need to remove? And when heaven doesn't seem to answer, you say, I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to get about the business of the Lord and I'm going to get energized and I'm going to get excited because God is good and God is gracious and he loves me and he's redeemed me and he's given me a calling. Praise the Lord, I'm going to do it. That's what I hope we wake up saying tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, and Thursday morning. And then we'll gather Thursday night, and we'll praise God for what he's done.